join us wherever you are. You can come on the night of September 26 at 7 p.m. I want you to come and hear Anne Graham Lotz, one of the great servants of God. Of course, we know her dad, the late Reverend Billy Graham. But Anne is a woman whose heart is after God's own heart. And she's releasing a new book, Jesus and Me. So we want you to come and register. It's $10, but you will discover that that's the best $10 you could invest in yourself and in your growth and in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm looking forward to introducing Anne Graham Lotz on the 26th of September, 7 p.m., Church of the Apostles. That video is available on our social media platforms, and this is what we're asking you to do. We are asking you to share it. You know that this event is going on within the church, but that video is specifically aimed at those who are outside our church, those who need to hear of the life-saving grace in Jesus Christ. So we would ask you, ladies, if you would share that video on your own social media platforms or invite someone you know on September 26th. For those of you who are wondering what's on my phone after the announcements, there is a text message from Kevin Cuthbertson that says, Hi, Jonathan. And there's also a very veiled rebuke from Apple telling me I've spent too much time on my screen this week. So those are the things. I didn't want you to be curious during the whole sermon what was on my phone. (laughs) Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we can joke around. We are a church family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We thank you for that kind of communion. We thank you for that kind of brotherhood and sisterhood. Father, we pray that you would convince us of that, convince us of the truth that we belong to you, but that we would not hesitate to bring others into this loving family. Be with me now as I preach your word, feeling extremely unworthy to do so, but knowing that you've made me worthy through the blood of Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Back when I was the college pastor here a few years ago, uh, one night after the lesson, we broke into our small groups, our discussion groups, and I happened to sit in on one of the groups with a visitor. And as we were all sitting around and talking, eventually he just, I could tell he was anxious, and I could tell that there was something wrong. And he finally spoke up and he said this He said, You guys are such good people. He said, I I don't even need to be here. I shouldn't be here with you. I've got a past, and I just don't belong. I, I wish I could, but I just know that I don't fit here. And no matter how much we tried to tell him that we have been saved by grace, that it wasn't because we're good people, that we were there. It's because we were desperately in need of Christ that we were there. He just could not comprehend that grace was available for someone like him. And it saddened my heart. We couldn't get him to understand that only by faith Christ has made us his very own possession. 
As sad as that is, sometimes we do feel like that young man, even when we've come to know Christ as Savior and Lord. So there's a war going on inside us that we don't let people see. And we dare not talk about the fact that we know who we are. We know our sin. We know the thoughts that go through our head. We know our struggles. And we're afraid sometimes that we just don't belong here. That this place is for for people who are, are better, are kinder, are nicer. Not people like us. But that's a lie. That's an absolute lie that our hearts whisper to us and the enemy whispers to us that you don't belong here. And until we as believers in Christ embrace the fact that we belong, how could we ever want to invite anyone into this church family, into a community of faith in Jesus? Why would we want to share our faith in Jesus? See, if Satan, the accuser, has pinned us down at the level of our identity in Christ, if we sense we don't truly belong to him, everything else falls apart. Everything that comes out of that is going to be fruitless. And if anyone in Scripture can relate to that, it's the Apostle Peter. His life is a testimony to the words that he writes in 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12 that cut to the heart of the matter that a weak sense that we belong to Jesus disrupts our life in Christ. In 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12, he writes these words. Now you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live in such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. See, Peter knew that there was great power in embracing his identity in Christ. And here he shows us the importance of embracing our identity in Christ. You see, Peter learned this like much of, many of us have learned this, not through necessarily successes, but failures. It was Peter who tried to be the rock in his own power, saying, Jesus, I never, I never will abandon you. Jesus told him what ultimately happened. He denied Jesus three times. It was Peter who, feeling like an absolute failure, when Jesus had risen from the dead, decided he was going to go back to trying to be a fisherman. And Jesus shows up again and tells him, Peter, you are no longer a fisherman. You are a fisher of man. That is what I've called you to be. And he restores him and his mission. It was Peter, once again, who, who feared men 
refused to eat with the Gentiles when the Jewish Christians were in town. And Paul called him on it. Paul reduces the issue to a gospel issue and an identity issue. He writes in Galatians, When Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas, the son of encouragement, by the way, was led astray. This sounds very much like a middle school scene, doesn't it? You can't sit at my table anymore. (laughs) When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, let me read that again because I think that's powerful. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. In other words, Peter, you have forgotten the gospel. And you're causing even Barnabas, the son of encouragement, to forget the gospel. And when we forget the gospel, we act out of our flesh and not our identity. He tells Peter, basically, Peter, you were the betrayer. I was the persecutor. But we are not now that. We are in Christ. And Christ has made us new. Not because we're good, but because Christ is good. And so here's Peter, Cephas, speaking to the church at large and telling us what he learned through those failures. We must embrace our identity as God's people. Because even as believers in Christ, we are tempted to find our identity in something else. Good, but lesser things. Being a success in the business world. Being the perfect mom. Being the top student in my class. Those are good things, but they are not Christ. Or else on the other side, the darker side of identity, we are tempted to believe that we are what the flesh Our enemy and the world says we are meaningless, hopeless, helpless, and unloved. These are the people to whom Peter is writing. People who have either embraced the lie that they're strong enough or embraced the lie that they're never going to be good enough. And that is a desperately severe problem because they're living in the midst of persecution. And if they don't know who they are in the midst of that, they're going to be crushed. So Peter encourages those who've come to Jesus with with verse 6. He says, the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. But as the lies swell within them and and within us, Peter delivers four counterpunches of truth in verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, 
a holy nation, a people belonging to God. You are a chosen people even when you don't feel wanted. You're a royal priesthood even when you feel like a pauper. You're a holy nation even when you feel like you just blend in. And you are a people belonging to God even when you feel like an outsider sometimes. And before the lies can hit back, Peter delivers the knockout in verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You belong to Christ. You were wanted, not because you were a great person, but because he is a merciful God who pursued you while you were yet a sinner. If you hear that and you shrug and you say, okay, yeah, I'm wanted, I get that, then you really haven't embraced it. Because when you truly grasp the depth of the gospel, how deeply you were loved and how much you're wanted, it changes everything. It changes everything. It changes your whole perspective. And we see three things here that that sense of identity, that perspective, that understanding, that embracing our identity in Christ does for us. First, it prompts us to praise him with our testimony. Second, it provides purpose for our everyday living. And third, it pushes us to pursue a people that are different than us. First, it prompts us to praise him with our testimony. Look at the last part of verse 9. After he says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. The natural, or I should say supernatural, response to the assurance that we belong to Christ when we found our identity in him is that we are prompted to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Now, let me just say this. This isn't sharing by obligation. This is sharing because once you look at the reality of your own redemption, you can't help but tell other people about it because it so blows you away. You're expressing the very gratitude of your heart for what Christ has done for you. Even in the Old Testament, the Egyptians repeated over and over again that we were brought out of slavery, and they told their story, and they told their story. I don't know what Peter's story was. Hey, I was minding my own business, trying to fish, and I I really wasn't catching anything, and then this strange preacher got on my boat, and then suddenly I got all these fish, and he says, hey, come follow me. And I did, and it changed my life forever. What's your story? Is it an amazing story? Some of you would say, absolutely. I was brought out of darkness into a marvelous and a wonderful light. And some of you would say, well, it's okay. Sometimes we're too close to it to see just how amazing our testimony really is. And sometimes we don't share because of that. Sometimes it takes another set of eyes and ears to really listen, to see our story, and to help us see just how precious that testimony is. I remember a number of years ago, I was sitting and I was telling my story to a guy who was older than me in in faith, and um, I didn't really think it was remarkable. And he's sitting there, he's listening. 
And he stops me after a while and he goes, you know, as you've shared some things, it, it really does seem to me, just in my own professional opinion and experience, you've shared some things that people don't just get over. How did you get over those things? I said, well, it was just mainly just trusting in the Lord and believing the truth rather than the lies that I experienced. And he just said, he said this to me. He said, it seems to me what God did was just plucked you right out of the darkness. And said, this one's mine. And I crumbled because it never struck me that God actually wanted me. You see the lies that go on inside of us? I felt like I more or less stumbled into the kingdom of God. Have you ever felt like you've stumbled into the kingdom of God? You're here by accident. You're going to be walking around the kingdom and one day God's going to go, look at my beloved children. Oop, not you. You're not supposed to be here. (laughs) Out with you. I think if we're honest, we have days we feel like that, that we stumbled into God's kingdom, that our, that our testimony is, you know, I kind, of, I kind of came into the church. But that robs God of his glory. You did not stumble into the kingdom of God. Whether your testimony is like Timothy's and you're a church kid, or your testimony is like Paul's, that you were a fanatic who was converted by the gospel, your story is nothing less that you were a slave to sin and you were freed in Christ, that you were dead in your trespasses and sin and made alive in Christ, that you were in bondage, but you were brought out of darkness into wonderful light. I don't care how gradual that might seem to you. It is not a gradual thing on a spiritual level. And if you don't appreciate that, if you don't really embrace the fact that God brought you out of something dark, whether it was just the darkness of your thinking or it was the darkness of your lifestyle, you're never going to appreciate the redemption that God wrought for you in Christ. And if you don't appreciate that, you won't celebrate it through telling your testimony. What is your story? What have you taken, have you taken the time to regularly reflect on all the things that had to be in place to get you where you were so that you would come to know Christ as Savior and Lord? Have you rehearsed it? Have you appreciated those nuances? Because when you do, it's like looking at the Grand Canyon. You can't just walk up to it and go, that's a pretty big ditch. Let's go. No, you walk up to that with awe and wonder at what God has done. And you should walk up to your testimony with awe and wonder of what God has wrought in you. So second, embracing our identity in Christ provides purpose for our everyday living. Look at verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. So once we embrace our eternal identity, it creates a sharp contrast between our identity and the world, which 
turns into a perspective on how we live our everyday lives. If we are a holy nation, if we are citizens of heaven, if we belong to the kingdom, then as a result, it says here, you're aliens and strangers in the world. At the beginning of, of the letter, Peter calls them exiles in Babylon. So basically, the world system is Babylon, and you are exiles living in foreign territory. And that really changes the way we pursue our life here. But the problem of living as exiles is growing comfortable, forgetting where you come from, losing your identity, and embracing the identity of the world. The whole way we approach life is so foreign and so different. And the longer you walk with Christ, that contrast gets deeper and and so crisp. The way the world thinks and the way that we think is so different. What the world pursues and what we pursue is so different. And when we begin to pursue the things that we used to pursue, it is what Peter says here. There's a war within our soul. We can't go back. Just like Peter tried to go back to being a fisherman, he couldn't do it anymore. That's no longer who he was. But we do it sometimes in our lifestyle. I remember um, there was a season late in high school. It wasn't very long after I had become a believer, maybe a year and a half. Work scheduled me for most Sundays. I stopped hanging out with my youth group, and then I began to find favor with the popular group in school. And I began running with them. And I began pursuing a life that was radically opposed to what life in Christ looked like. And as a result, there was an onset of an unshakable depression, and I fell deep into a godly sorrow that I have never experienced since. For months, I resisted the voice of God in my heart trying to lead me back to who I truly was in him. And the more I resisted, the deeper I got in depression. It's like when you get stuck in mud and you just kind of try to hit the gas and your wheels just sink deeper and deeper and deeper until I just, I was so despondent, I couldn't even, I couldn't even think straight. And I knew exactly what it was about. I knew what my despondency was about. I tried everything to remove myself from that, except this, walking away from the things that I was pursuing. And I didn't want to walk away from them because I was afraid, because I'd found this identity over here that I'd kind of always wanted. But this one over here, the one in Christ, spoke so much louder to me It was killing me. So finally, the day before Easter, I walked away from it all. Back to Christ. Depression lifted. And I've never experienced an Easter Sunday like that since. It was a reminder, that voice, that pull, 
my life in Christ provided me with purpose to live in a way that did not war against my soul. It was a reminder that I cannot be what I used to be. And there are seasons where we ignore the truth of who we are. We trust in the old identity, or as Scripture calls it, the old man. But it doesn't fit anymore, and it never will. Kind of like that pair of acid-washed jeans that you used to wear that you're not going to fit in anymore. They're never going to fit, and you shouldn't even try. That identity doesn't fit us anymore. And the more that we try to to push ourselves into that, we look like we're wearing somebody else's clothes. Because we are. That's not who we are anymore. In all seriousness, there's some, some, there, within some of you, there, there is a war today. Some of you came into this room, you know you're believers in Christ, but you've been running for a long time away from that which is your identity. And there's a war going on in your soul. I don't know who that is in this room, but I was the guy that came to church and would feel the depth of that war within me. And we refuse to confess it. Today you can. Today you can get free of that. Today you can have your very own Easter Sunday morning. Today you can lay it down. To pick up the garments that God has for you. To lay down the old ones that don't fit you anymore. Because our identity gives us a purpose. And the purpose is to live for his glory. To live in a way that the light shines on him not live in a way that we're centered on what we want. Thirdly, embracing our identity in Christ pushes us to pursue a people that are different than us. Look at verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Now that word there, pagan, may kind of cause you to, well, that's a strong word. It is a strong word. And it's kind of become a derogatory word in our culture. But when when you translate the word ethnos, it can translate into Gentiles or nations. But the reason the translators did that here is because they're trying to distinguish between Gentiles who have come to know Christ and those who have not. Probably a better word here would be unbelievers. Some might say the lost. Verse 12 is somewhat of the consequence of what happens when we live as citizens of heaven versus lovers of the world. Flowing out of verse 11, we see the stark contrast between how we think and how the world thinks. Now, 20 years ago, you could see some of that contrast, but not as clearly as you can now. Now, you can't help but see the contrast between the way the world thinks and the way we think. Today, the world calls evil good and good evil. And we see it clearly. In the early church, when Peter says, though they accuse you of doing wrong, it shows the inverted value system of the world in that day. Christians were accused of not being good Roman citizens because they would not sacrifice to the emperor. Christians were slandered for being cannibals because they partook of the Lord's Supper. They misunderstood what we were doing. 
And Christians were accused of burning Rome. In today's world, where evil is called good and good is called evil, that value system is inverted still. What's our response to that? It it depends on how you understand who you are. What do I mean? In uh, in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, Paul rattles off a list of sins. Then, just when we might be feeling puffed up and pretty good about ourselves, he hits them with a reminder. He says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Can you remember who you were before you were washed, before you were sanctified, before you were justified? I remember who I was. If y'all were to meet me back then, you'd be like, that guy's lost. Yes, I was. Absolutely was. And I can appreciate that the people who had this inverted value system had that inverted value system because they don't know Jesus. And instead of pushing me away from them, what it calls me to do is to go among them. That's the word he uses here. It, wants me, it, it begs me to take them the good news that they could be the people that once were not a people, but that now they are the people of God. That they could receive mercy, though they have not received mercy. And it pushes me to pursue those who are unbelievers. Peter experienced this too. Do you remember the, the, the vision of the, the sheet lowering down and... Jesus saying, rise, Peter, kill, and eat. And he did this multiple times until Peter got the idea, hey, God might be trying to tell me something. And not long after that, people from Cornelius, a Gentile, came and spoke to Peter and said, an angel of the Lord has asked you to come to Cornelius' house. Now, don't miss the irony of this. He's coming from Joppa, the same place that Jonah went to to flee God's call to go to people that were not God's people to preach the good news, to preach repentance. But Peter receives the message in Joppa and goes with some of the Jewish Christians there over to see Cornelius. And he realizes, he explains to Cornelius that what God has taught him is that no man is shut out of the kingdom of God because of his ethnicity. And that he should not fear He says, Jews are not supposed to associate with Gentiles, but God has showed me that that's wrong. And the whole household of Cornelius comes to believe, which is, I think, what he's thinking about when he writes these words, live such good lives among the pagans, among the believers. Don't miss among. Among is an important word. We haven't been called to retreat from the world. No, we, we don't live as the world but we live in the world and we live among those who are, who are in darkness. And we've been called to reflect Christ to a world that is hopeless. There's something that I truly miss now that I'm a pastor. I miss talking to people who will never darken the door of a church. Well, can't you do that? Well, I can, but guess what? Whenever they bring up who, when, what do you do and I say I'm a pastor, what happens? Shields up. They're throwing out any kind of Bible verse that they remember from their childhood. 
They're talking to me about churches that they went to eight, nine years ago, the church that they were a member of when they were five, because they're trying to position themselves. They, they don't want to talk to me because they, they know that I'm there to have a gospel conversation with them. And so their shields go up. Before I was a pastor and I got to work amongst just everyday people, I loved the conversations that I had because though they knew I was going to seminary, it was more of a curiosity. I wasn't a pastor yet, so I was okay. One of my favorite things to do was to explode the myths and the stereotypes of what Christians really think and who Christians really are. I loved that. I loved having conversations. And eventually, when they were going through something that they needed to process, they would come to me. That didn't happen anymore. It's rare because they see me and it's red alert. There's a pastor, incoming pastor, watch out. Don't talk to that guy. He's going to convert you. That's probably a a really valid fear. I'm not going to lie. My longing for you is this. Look, you have what I don't have. You have relationships with people whose shields aren't up. You live among people whose shields are not up. They may know you're a believer. They may not know you're a believer. That would be a good conversation to have. I wouldn't lead with, hey, I'm a believer. Probably not the best way to lead in that conversation. But there are opportunities to share your faith. You have a golden opportunity if you so desire and you will pray for the opportunities and you take the time to live among a people that don't know God. And when they have heartbreak or they're feeling hopeless, you have hope because of your identity in Christ and you can share with them your testimony of who God is and who he could be in their lives, if they would just bow the knee before Christ as Savior and Lord. I remember one particular instance when I was a uh, runner, not a runner, I was a, uh, I worked after school care and I worked one summer camp and there was this one particular girl who worked alongside me who did not like church and did not like organized religion. And she made it very clear to me. You keep your distance from me. I might catch something. One of my other coworkers vouched for me. He's not like that. He's not going to beat you over the head with the Bible. He just, he's just a good person to talk to. Well, one afternoon, the conversation kind of came to a head, and she shared with me her grandmother was a devout Christian. She grew up going with her grandmother to church. But her grandmother got sick, and she prayed, and she prayed, she prayed to God that God would not take her grandmother, and her grandmother passed away. And she said, from that moment on, I had nothing to do with the church. Now, we talked through that, but you see, sometimes haters are haters because they're hurting And behind her hate was hurts. But you have to be close enough to listen. 
even though they revile you, even as Peter says, they may accuse you of wrongdoing, but live such good lives among them that they will see your good works and they will glorify God on the day he visits us. What that phrase means is this, that through that testimony, that living before them, they will glorify God on the day that Christ comes rather than trembling in utter fear and terror under the wrath of God when he comes. It shows that that we can live such lives amongst unbelievers that we go to the deep questions that ultimately cause them to hear the truth, believe the truth, and no longer be outsiders, but part of God's family. That they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. We pursue them. We show them kindness, the kindness of the Lord that led us to repentance. When we truly believe that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, when we remember that, once we were not a people, but now we are the people of God. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy, we can't help but tell others about the reality of that truth. Now this year we have, uh, we have pursued what we've called the 2020 vision. And I don't know if we have the, the phrase that we use, belong to Jesus, belong together, but if, if we can show that really quickly, I would love to, to see our logo. It says belong to Jesus, belong together. These aren't words. When we say belong to Jesus, we're saying exactly what Peter is saying here. What he is doing is he's using terminology that God used with Israel. And he's saying to to Gentiles, you are not second-class citizens. God is wrapping you in those same blessings. When we say belong to Jesus, belong together, what we are asking you all to believe, ourselves to believe, is that we truly belong to Jesus and that that will have repercussions for our daily lives on how we reach out to others, how we live and reaching people who are so foreign, so different than us, that they may be brought near, that they may believe, and they may be brought near by the blood of Christ. What did you come in here this morning believing about yourself and the world? It's very important that when we leave here, we, need, we leave knowing that we're deeply loved in Christ. If you have never trusted Christ as Savior and Lord, we have pastors up front today that would love to talk to you. But if you have, and you're in a season of rebellion, Come back. Come back. That is not who you are. You are a child of God. But if you're here today and you're just feeling like an outsider and an outcast and you don't belong, but you are a blood-bought believer in Jesus Christ, don't fear. You are a chosen 
race. You are a holy priesthood, a holy nation. You are God's own possession. We just must bow our knee before Christ this morning and ask him to help us by his spirit believe and embrace that identity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you as people who live in a world that is so foreign to you. Father, help us to avoid the error of letting what the world says about us conform us, transform us, Lord, being rooted in the fact that we're yours, being rooted in our identity in Christ. Work in us what is pleasing to you and cause us to be so in awe and wonder of who we are and whose we are that we cannot help but tell others about the reality of our redemption. Empower us by your spirit. Encourage us by your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.